Well, praise God. So we're going to come back into our Wednesday night Bible study, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We're actually building on where we've been the last two weeks, which we talked extensively about the foundation. Our foundation is Jesus Christ. If you belong to the church, if you belong to Jesus, it's because he's your foundation. The only way to get in Christ is through the cross, believing on not only what transpired, but actually believing that that is what saves you. That God looks on Jesus' sacrifice and then therefore justifies you. And having that internal witness of the Holy Spirit, that's what saves us. Um, so that foundation being Jesus Christ, and as Paul said, that's the only thing that they preach. There's no other foundation that anybody can lay. But on this foundation, we will build. And we talked about how God expects that on that foundation you build. Amen? No, no builder that ever has built a home stopped at the foundation unless they ran out of money. Most everybody builds a foundation for a purpose. That, that purpose is to actually begin to build up something. And so the foundation being Jesus Christ in our life is for a purpose, and that is that God can build you up. That is that God can grow you, that God can, can add to you, that God can use you. And as we talked last time, and as, as we begin in this, the purpose for fruit is that people can taste and see that God is good. It is that people can be around you and they can associate God's goodness with whatever's coming out of you. Now, how many of you know that is a tall order? And in the flesh, we can't do that. In the, you can try to be nice all you want, but if you don't have God in you, you got limitations. You, you can try to have love all you want, but if you don't have God in you, you're going to, you're, you know, like they have on those TV shows, I've had it up to here with you, you know. That's how I grew up, you know. I've had it up to here. Well, if, if, if you have a limit, you'll hit it eventually, how many of you know that God's love has no limit? I'm glad for that. Because he, he was not limited when he reached down into the gutter and saved a wretch like me. Amen. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about. And so we're going to begin here in verse number 16, Galatians 5. We're actually going to be moving all the way down through this chapter and taking out some, some breakaway points. So verse number 16, the Bible says, This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. So you have only two options. There's Whatever's coming out of you is either of God, of the Spirit, or it is of you, of your flesh. There's no third options. As uh, my pastor said, you know, that the, the Bible has a word for average. It's called lukewarm. And God doesn't take kindly to lukewarm folks. He doesn't allow us to straddle that fence for long before he deals with this one way or the other. So God's looking for us to grow spiritually, and we're only going to either be walking in the Spirit or we're going to be in the flesh. There's no middle road. God doesn't allow us that gray area where, hey, you don't have to, you don't have to live for God. It's, it's one or the other. And I want you to see that these things are contrary. You see that word contrary? Now, you know what that means. Webster says it means to be set against or to withstand, to oppose. So your flesh opposes what God's doing in you. Can I get a witness? Other people's flesh opposes what God's doing in you. Can I get a witness? Amen? But on the other side of the spectrum, the spirit opposes what the flesh is doing. You see that? They're contrary one to the other. So there, there's, an, there's animosity between the flesh and the spirit. I can't operate in both. I'm going to be serving either God or me. There's no third option. And it says here, there, and that's why I wanted to start here, because when you begin to talk about the, the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, our average, lukewarm, 
Our average mindset goes to, well, I don't have to be all that. Like, I can be a little loving, I can have a little joy and a little peace, but God wants you to have full love, full joy, full peace. He wants you to have the complete work of the Holy Ghost. God doesn't do anything halfway, okay? And if you'll grab hold of God, one, one, one of my pastors, Pastor Jerry, he used to say this all the time. He said, God will pull you through if you can stand the pull. And anybody that's ever been pulled out of anything can tell you, as long as you can hold on to it, you can get through it. If you've ever gotten your truck stuck before and they had to come and get a chain and pull you out of the mud, the only problem with that is if they're not strong enough or the chain breaks. But the way it is with God is when you get stuck in something, as long as you hold on to God, God will pull you through the something, whatever it is. So God's desire is that we grow in the spirit. So I'm, I'm kind of setting this up so that you, you don't hit average so that you don't hit lukewarm so that you don't hit a compromised state of being spiritually god doesn't want you to have half of the fruit of the spirit okay he doesn't want you to be loving towards some and not towards others he doesn't want you to have peace when there's money in the bank and no peace when there's not any money in the bank he doesn't want you to have joy on your wedding day and not have joy on the day when you're next to a casket or signing divorce papers. He doesn't want you to, to be this all over, but to know and understand that these fruit of the Spirit are possible in our lives in every day, every situation, no matter what it is, because if it's the Spirit that is doing it, you got to get this. If it's the Holy Spirit that is producing this fruit, it is not determined by my circumstance, but my standing in Christ. All these fruit of the Spirit are possible in you no matter what is going on in your life. All these fruit of the Spirit are not only possible, but God expects them no matter what we're going through in life, especially in hard times. God, what I've witnessed, and you could probably testify the same way, the, the harder the road gets, the more the Lord pours it on. Can I get a witness? The, the, sometimes you, you, go, you, you don't ever know until you go through that thing with the power of God, but when you go through that thing with the power of God, it is unmistakable. I would so much, I, you know, I don't like going through battles, but it is so different now that I have the Holy Spirit in my life. Because I know and understand as long as I am full of the Spirit of God, then the more the world weighs on me, the more the Lord pours into me. Because God is faithful. And God's no respecter of persons. He's not more faithful to me than you. He's not more faithful to Peter than he was to Paul. And he's not more faithful to Timothy than he was to Titus. God hasn't changed. Our expectations and and and. What we believe God's going to do has changed, but God hasn't changed. Now, you got to get this. So, you have these two. Now, if we took a show of hands, we wouldn't want to do that right now. Okay, so everything that I'm teaching you is so that you can be equipped from this point forward. Because we're not going to talk about what, what we missed. We're going to talk about what we're going to do in Jesus' name. Okay, so let's go ahead and move down into this. In, it says in, in verse number 18, it says, But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, what we're going to talk about right here are the works of the flesh. Now, we, we saw clearly that there's two different options. One's, one is the flesh and one is the Spirit. So Paul breaks down the works of the flesh first. He breaks down the works of the flesh first. Now, let's, let's read these. Now, you could do a study on these, and I encourage you to do a study on these. If you do a study on these, you'll become a holy roller. Nobody, nobody had to tell you to not do certain things. Because if you actually do an in-depth study on each one of these words that we're about to read, the Lord will take care of the rest. Amen? Okay, so it says, Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. That word manifest means seen, okay? They're seen, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, 
hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Now that's a list. Why is it important that we understand what this list is? Because of the next phrase. He says, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's black and white. Those that are drunken shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that are fornicators shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that are unclean shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that practice witchcraft shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that fall into seditions and heresies and adulteries and murders and envyings shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We sound like Ray Comfort, don't we? But, but this is Bible. This is black and white. This is what God has said, and this is his line in the sand. Because what it shows is that if we are allowing our flesh to run, that's where it hits. Your flesh, absent the Spirit of God, and this is going to be a key phrase as we go through this study, absent. What is absent in our life? But if your flesh is running absent the Spirit of God, we hit these. I, I, we're not going to take a show of hands, but some of us might have hit all of them. It's possible. Some of us might have hit seven of them. Some of us might have hit five. All of us hit one, at least, because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right? So it's not that have you done these things, but are these things in your life now? And if these things are in your life now, we've got to take you to the cross. Because that flesh has to be crucified unto God. We have to, be, we have, to have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit being born again by the Spirit from above. We have to be born that second time. If the works of the flesh are manifest in our life, we need to go to the altar. Plain and simple. That's what we need to do. You, you might say, well, I've been to the altar. Well, keep going to the altar. What I tell people is, don't get up from the altar until you know that you know that you know that you know that you know you're different now. Nobody can tell you that you're different, and nobody can tell you that you're not different. That doesn't matter. That's not going to matter on Judgment Day. What's going to matter is that you know by the witness of the Holy Spirit that you're a changed person. And you will know that because your desires will change, the power that is in you will change, the light that is in you will change. Can I get a witness on that? So what I want to point out on this, and, 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 and I've done this one before. I've, I've, I love to study different things, but this one is a good one. Study these words. And I encourage you, to, to, to really dig down and study these things out. But just to briefly tell you, adultery, the Lord said that if you look on a, on a woman in lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So this Sunday school thing that I used to have growing up, you can look but don't touch, is a lie that sends people to hell. You, you can look but not touch is, is, is a lie, but it, it, it actually inflames the flesh in a religious manner. Nothing could be more deceptive. Nothing could be more dangerous. And, and, and fornication, you know, I mean, you can go down the list of these. Idolatry, witchcraft. Now, we know witchcraft is the same thing as rebellion in the Bible. God looks at it the same way. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft is, the, is desiring to, to manipulate people through nat nature's forces. Envying, heresies, you know what sedition is, right? Sedition is when you're, you're, you're making divisions in the body of Christ. You're, you're separating yourself from this one or that one. and We could call it cliques. Y'all know what a clique is? That's not fun. It's not of God either. What about, what about uh, heresies? Heresies, is, is, these are things that you know the Bible is explicit about but you disagree. There's one God. 
three persons, one God. There's things that are explicit, right? Um, that, that, that we're only saved. Jesus is the only way that we can be saved. Believing on his death, burial, and resurrection. He's the only, you know, he's the only uh, way to heaven. He's the way, the truth, and the life. All the other things are heresies. And so you could go down these, but what I want you to see in these is that indulging the flesh has a cost. Indulging the flesh has a cost. Not only does it have a cost around you, right? Because if you begin to practice these things like adultery or fornication, you're probably going to end up divorced. I mean, there's a, there's a cost in those types of things. You practice witchcraft, you're going to end up running with the wrong folks. You practice drunkenness, you're going to wake up in the wrong place. Hopefully, wake up. I mean, there's, there's a cost to all these things. Many of us can testify. We could do testimony hour on these things. But the Bible tells us in Romans 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. Yeah, that word. Now, does God really mean what he says? He says that the wages of sin is death. So God's not playing. And the word wage there means the same thing you understand it to be. Like the Bible's not complicated. It's just spiritual, okay? When the Bible says that the wages of sin is dead, what it means is every time you sin, you get a paycheck. And you don't want to cash it, but you can't not cash it. Every time you sin, you get a paycheck called death, some form or fashion. If nothing else, it's just sin that causes separation with God. And we know, hallelujah, that when you get into that place, that you can confess that thing to God. And you can believe on the blood of Jesus Christ, and it'll cleanse you of all, right, unrighteousness. God will cleanse you. But you've got to confess that thing and put it under the blood. Amen? So here's something that I want you to see, though. Indulging the flesh has its cost. Those that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's it. So now let's look at the other side of the spectrum. We're going to just kind of move into the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit here. These are the works of the flesh. Again, I'm going to appeal to you that in verse 16 and 17, you see that everything that we do is either flesh or spirit. Today, you operated in the fruit of the Spirit or in your flesh. Me too. I, which one? Well, I'm going to let the Lord decide, right? But he tells us these things so that we can examine ourselves and see where we're at. Now, the fruit that, it, the fruit that is being born in your life today is good. But what we know from John 15 is that no matter how much fruit is being produced in you, you may look at it as little or you may be looking at it as, look at all my fruit. But no matter how big or small the fruit of the Spirit is in you, God's desire is that there be more. It says in John 15 that if you abide in Christ and he in you, you will bear fruit. You may not be an evangelist to another country. You may not be an apostle. But if you abide in Jesus and Jesus is abiding in you, fruit's coming out. You can't not abide in Christ and Christ in you and fruit not come out. Because he's the vine, right? Now, watch this. Here's the fruit. Let's, let's go ahead and, 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 and read in the fruit. But what I want to point out before we get into the fruit is that abiding in Christ has to be the primary objective. That, like, nothing else matters. We have to make sure that we're abiding in Christ. The, 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 the enemy wants to keep you down, wants to keep you confused, and wants to keep you um, in guilt so that you don't abide in Christ. Abiding in Christ is essential, and it is required of the saints. God said, if you're not bearing fruit, you'll be cut off. But if you are bearing fruit, he will prune you, right? Prune you so that you'll bear more fruit, purge you. That's, if you want to write this down, that's John 15, verses 1 through 6, okay? That's John 15, verses 1 through 6, is a direct correlation to this passage, you, that's it, okay? Abiding in Christ is the primary objective. And lastly, it is the only means for producing fruit. You can't produce fruit by trying harder. 
You can't produce fruit by going to church. You can't produce fruit by any other way except abiding in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. Think about it. Do you think that he would allow fruit to be grown in any other vine? Through the vine of religion? Through the vine of confession? Through the vine of religious activity? Through the vine of trying harder? No, he is the vine. Jesus is the vine. He is what our hearts desire, but he is the only way that we could ever produce fruit. Okay, He is the vine. Amen? So another way of saying that is true fruit has its root in Jesus. True fruit has its root in Jesus. I'll give you a, a, a quote from Brother Ravenhill. He said that the only way to bear fruit upward is to bear root downward, that root being Christ. The only way to bear fruit upward is to bear root downward, root being Christ. So let's look at these fruit of the Spirit, and then we'll begin to, to, to take them apart. It says in verse number 22, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And look what it says there. Against such, there is no law. There is no law against these things. And look at, uh, and this is, I love this verse 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So there's, there's a growth aspect to this because he's saying, hey guys, if we're alive in the Spirit, if you're saved, right? If you're saved, you're alive in the Spirit. And so what Paul's teaching through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, if you're alive in the Spirit, let's start walking. Let's start walking in the Spirit. If you're alive in the Spirit, let's begin to walk after the things that God has for us because if not, we're either going to be walking in the Spirit or indulging the flesh. Again, this is like a teeter-totter, right? Some of us are on that side, some are on that side, but you can't be in the middle of a teeter-totter, right? So here's the thing that we want to see. First one is love, love, joy, and peace. I love what John Wesley says here. John Wesley says that, that love is the root for all the other eight. That from love, the others flow. It, love is the root of the other eight. Now, I agree with him. I think that, that all of these are interconnected, but love is preeminent because all of them proceed from a place of love. Loving God and loving his creation. Loving his people. Look, you might say, well, does God really want me to love Democrats? Does God really want me to love Republicans? Does God really want me to love Canadians? God does. He said that he loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus himself said he did not come for the righteous but for the sinner. And we all know that Canadians and Republicans and Democrats are all sinners. Everybody knows that. We've all sinned. But that's who Jesus came for. Are you with me? So love is that preeminent one. And let's talk about that for just a second. We're, we're actually going to break down all of these. We may run out of time. We may not. But love, I, and I agree with John Wesley. John, you know, he started a whole denomination for a reason. He's a smart guy. Had the spirit of the Lord. But I agree with this, that love is that, that root of all the other fruit. Now, we can go through a lot of different scriptures on this, but I'm just going to highlight a few things. Number one, love is not a feeling. Love is not a feeling. If you talk to any middle school kid, they'll tell you, I fell in love with that boy. I'm not in love with him anymore. That's that that. That concept is a figment of our flesh's imagination. That concept is a tool that the devil uses to destroy lives. Love is not a feeling. God didn't feel for us. 
he chose to put his affection on us. That's a different ball game. Love, according to Webster's Dictionary, 1828, first English dictionary, right? Is love is determined affection. Get that. Determined affection. I choose. I choose to set my affection on you, and I choose that forever. It's a marriage vow right there. I choose to set my affection on you in sickness and in health, good times and bad times, for rich or poor. That's, that is not determined by what I feel on the inside, but a determination that I've made on the outside to put my affection on you. Now you can see through John 3.16's lens how God set his affection on us. He chose, not because there was anything beautiful in us, not because he felt something because we were sparkly that day, but he chose through a determined action to set affection on us because we were fallen like the commercial. We, we, we had fallen and we couldn't get up. We had fallen in sin and we could not get up and God chose to set his affection on us. God so loved the world that he gave. He, he, he made a determined action because of his affection. And because of that, he gave us an opportunity to be saved. So love is not a feeling. So don't, don't, whenever, you, whenever you look at this first one, this, this will kind of let you see the tempo for the fruit of the Spirit. Love is not based on feelings or even circumstances or even situations. How many of you know that you can love somebody and not like what they've done? My grandma used to say that all the time. I love you, but I don't like what you're doing right now. She said it way more than I wanted her to say, but she said it. But just because she said it don't make it right. But what I'm trying to get you to see, though, is that biblical love is not about feelings. It's about just a determined affection, choosing. And when we're talking about the love being a fruit of the Spirit, what we're talking about is not that we get this whole lovey-dovey feeling that you had in middle school whenever that person walked by you or gave you a note. It's not that, it's not that goosey, bumpy, lovey-dovey feeling. It is a determined action. It is a determined action. So what does that mean for us? How do we apply that? Well, first off, the Bible says that we are the greatest commandment, according to Jesus in Matthew chapter 22. He said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So if I'm going to do that, it's not about how I feel. Because some days I feel here and sometimes I feel here. Sometimes I'm over here and sometimes I'm over here. Sometimes I don't know what I feel because I haven't had coffee. So it's not about how I feel. It's about a determined action to put all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength on Him. How many of you know that you don't wake up and have to fall in love again with your spouse? It's a, you, you chose that years ago, right? You don't have to think about it. Well, it's the same way with God. It is a determination that you've made on God that you're going to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You're going to set that on him when it's raining or when it's shining, when you have money or when you don't, good times or bad times, rich or poor. You're going to set all of who you are on him because of who he is. You're choosing to set your affection on him. The Bible tells us explicitly in Romans chapter, uh, in 1 John, it says that we love him. In 1 John chapter 4, we love him because he first loved us. So because God loved us, it opened us up to this possibility of this fruit of the Spirit, and we can love him back because he first loved us. So we love him because he first loved us. Secondly, one thing that I want to point out on this is what happens in the absence of, of love? What happens in the absence of love? Jesus said that in uh, iniquity will abound because the love of many will grow cold, wax cold. Is what, it says. 
What happens when love grows cold? What happens in the absence of love? Iniquity abounds. Well, in our personal relationships, most of us can testify to that. When love is not there, when love is not reciprocated, when love's only one way and not the other way, then iniquity abounds. Well, we can look at it from our spiritual relationship with God. God loves us. He sent Jesus to the cross for us. That's there. We can choose or we can reject, but God already made the one way. How many of you know, though, a relationship takes two? For this thing, for this thing to work, we have to receive his love and love him back. Marriage or any kind of relationship personally is the same way. Amen? It's, it's, there's a two-way street. Uh, love uses the concept of a relationship. I'm reminded of this passage in Genesis chapter 1. And God, uh, God said, let us make man in our image. Why did God make us? Because he wanted to. God is love. And with us, he has something to love. Right? So here's something that I want you to see. Absence of love, iniquity, that, and if you want to write that down, that's Matthew 24. Jesus was teaching on the end times, Matthew 24, 12. But he said, iniquity will abound because the love of many will wax cold. And it's the same way in us. You take somebody that stops loving God and just begins to go through the motions, well, guess what? You can't hold that thing together. You, you can't put coast on your relationship with God. Iniquity will abound. Iniquity will rise. And it's the same way in a relationship with, you know, a, a, a husband or a wife. The, the, you're not going to go too long without loving that person and not having iniquity crop up somewhere. Because if you're not receiving love from this person, you'll be looking for it in this person. Right? It's the same way with our relationship with God. So let's go back to the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what about the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit, our concept on this is the reason that God does this, A, is to get his, that he gets glory, but B, so that people can, through you, taste and see that God is good. How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we be around people and they can taste and see that God is good through our love because you don't love in a worldly way. You see, our, I'm actually making a track right now. Um, but, you know, there's a saying that they have out there that says, love is love. Well, that's not true. Because 1 John chapter 2 tells us that the love of the world and the love of God are not the same. It says, if anyone loved the world, then the love of God is not in them. 1 John chapter 2. So, love is not love, biblically speaking. So, what is it about us that we love others with a godly love? A, that they know God. B, that they walk in His truth. C, that the Spirit of God is alive in them. That, that desire, that's what God's first primary cause for me was. Not that I get a car. Not that I don't have bills to pay. His first act of love towards me was so that I could get saved. Amen? So if I'm truly going to love others, I'm going to be after their soul, regardless of how they treat me. Because why? God was after my soul, regardless of how I treated him. He had every right to tell me, forget you. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've had it up to here with you. But he didn't. His love just kept on coming. As Crowder says, his love came in hot. It, 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 it just keeps coming. And so when you are loving someone with God's love, it is you going after them, helping them to know and understand who God is. Now, you don't have to preach and recite every scripture every time you're with them, but just showing them who God is in your life. That you don't have to kick the dog when you have a bad day. That you don't have to, you know, you don't have to get drunk whenever you're stressed. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You don't have to turn to the things of the world because you have a God that you can turn to who actually spins the world. 
And so what we see in this passage is that God's love through us is not, is, is not something that is a feeling, but is a determined action. And if God's love is operating in us, then it's the same way. It's us choosing to, to operate in that thing in spite of who they are or what they've done. Amen? So love is, is profound, and, and, and you can go on into many different areas on this. For a full concept of what love is, you can look at Jesus. For an in-depth teaching from an apostle, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8, and look at charity, that is the word that God uses for love, that is born from a, a, a Christian heart. That's charity. Charity today has a wrong concept. It's about ringing a bell in front of Walmart. That's charity. No, charity is actually a benevolent love compelled by what God's done for you. That's the biblical concept of charity. And so let's, let's move into joy here, love and joy. Joy is number two. So the first one being love, the second one being joy. What is joy, by the way? How do you define joy? Because most people define joy by happiness, but joy is not happiness because you can have joy and not be happy at the same time. I've, I lived it. Like, I remember the Lord speaking that to me so clearly one time. I was sitting next to my mom's casket, and, and, and I had the joy of the Lord. I couldn't explain it because I was just, I, I, I had joy. I, I just, I could not explain it. But the Lord spoke to me in my heart, and he said, you're not happy right now, but you have joy. That's because joy comes from me. And I got it. It's like, wow. So happiness and joy are, 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 are different because happiness, I, I can be happy and I cannot be happy. But if I'm walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are in my life, my joy is not determined by my circumstances. I can have joy when I don't have a job. I can have joy when my health is falling. I can have joy when my world's been turned upside down. Why? Because joy comes from the Lord. Happiness comes from my circumstance. They're different. Sometimes they run together, but they're different. Okay, so what is it about joy? The actual definition for joy is delight or gladness. This is something that only God can give you. Delight or gladness. Think about this. Nothing on God's green earth can give you in lieu of what God can give you through your relationship with Him. If it was possible for people to actually find this kind of joy without God, why would it be a fruit of the Spirit? Right? So, you have to kind of think like that and kind of backtrack and say, you know what, these are, so for every one of these fruit of the Spirit, I'll just tell you this, the, the devil has an imitation. The devil has an imitation. Well, you obviously know what the imitation of love is. Love is love. You obviously know that. Or the, the kind of love like today, our marriages, right? They last about as long as boyfriend and girlfriend in high school, right? I don't like you anymore. I'm breaking up. And that, that's people's concept of love. I'm just, that's what it is today. Okay? However, with God, it's different. Now, it, there are reasons for divorce. The Lord gives us those reasons. I'm not, I'm not here to go down that road. But there are reasons that Jesus himself gives for divorce. Okay? But what I want you to see is that the world's concept of love and God's concept of love are two different things. Can you agree with me on that? And joy is the same way. The world thinks that you have joy when you have money or a car or a house. But you can have somebody that's homeless, without a dime, without anything, and they can have the joy of the Lord. It is not determined by my circumstance. It is determined by my relationship with God. And you'll pull that very first one in Psalm 16, verse 11. Okay? If you want to write that down, you can. But Psalm 16, verse 11 is where you get that from. And I'll, I'll let me just, I'll put my place here and I'll, we'll just read that one so we can see it. 
Psalm 1611. Hallelujah. Well, what happens whenever you abide in the Lord? This is one of the best psalms, by the way. Psalm 1611. It says here, Thou, that's speaking to God, T in the King James means singular, you and you alone. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence, that's one person and one person alone, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So joy is coming from God's presence. If you spend time in God's presence, you're going to come out of that time in God's presence with the fullness of joy. Amen? Well, can you tell when I hadn't been spending time with Jesus? Yes, you can. Because I don't have any joy. I'm a humbug. I'm speaking like all of us. We can tell. When your joy is not there, that is a number one indicator, red flashing light, like E on your gas tank. When you're driving, you better get to a gas station. When you have no joy, you better get to the altar station. You better get down to that altar and get back in the presence of God. Confess whatever needs to get confessed. Love on Him. Just spend time at His feet not asking for anything. Just want to be in His presence. Get back to that first love. And guess what? You'll come out of that thing with joy all over you. People will tell you, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. I backed into your car. It's okay. It's okay. What do you mean it's okay? I mean, it's okay. Joy will be joy is that way. Amen. Anybody that's ever experienced the fullness of joy can tell you that it, it, it is unmistakable. Well, that's a heritage for you and me. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is not something you achieve to. This is not something you work to. This is something that you get rooted into. As you abide in Christ, as you sit at His feet, as you dwell in Him, as you love on Him, as you pour out your heart on Him, then He indwells you and this comes out. You don't even have to try. There's not even a multiple choice test or a true false test. As you abide in Him, this comes out of you. I think that's awesome. What a deal. What a deal. The problem is most of us don't spend enough time with Jesus. That's the problem. God's, God's challenge in John 15, when he looks down that vine and he sees the branches, is that one bearing fruit? Nope. Should we cut it off or prune it a little bit? That's what he says in John 15. If you'll read that verses 1 through 6, that's what he says. So our job is to make sure that we're abiding in the vine. You can only do that by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, hallelujah, God in the flesh. So what does the absence of joy look like? We're telling you what joy looks like. I know what joy is. I've experienced it. I'm sure you have too. It's not when you get an extra paycheck. It's not when you get a bonus Christmas check. It's not when you get a car. That's not joy. That's not joy. That's not joy. You just read joy comes from the presence of God. So what you experienced on those times was happiness. Joy is different. Joy is the fullness, the delight. And, and, and that comes from being around God. When Moses was around God, guess what happened to him? He didn't float. He didn't go invisible. He, his face lit up like a Christmas tree because he was around God. He was in God's presence, and joy manifested out. Have you ever been around someone like that? They were just so in love with Jesus, you couldn't wipe the smile off of their face? I've often wondered about that, right? I'm like, Lord, help me to not do that. But I've often wondered, you know, when people sing, you know, I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. I'm like, where? (laughs) It's way down there. Where? Where? Because it's not coming up here, right? 
But it's supposed, it's supposed to navigate from our heart to our face, at least. But with Moses, when Moses was around Jesus, it navigated all the way through his face and reverberated like a shining light so much he had to put a veil over his face. He was shining that much. Now, I would love to shine that much, but you get the, you get the drift. But what does it mean to not have that? What is, what is the absence now, the absence of love, we talked about, I didn't get too far into it, but the abs- if you don't have the love of God in your life, you're going to, absent that, you're going to be looking for love in the wrong place. You're going to be looking for somebody's conditional love instead of God's determined love. The world has conditions on it, right? So if, if, if I don't, if absent God's love, I, I, I'm there, right? I'm looking for love in the wrong places. What about absence of joy? That means I'm looking for delight in the wrong places. That means I'm looking for joy in the way that maybe I appear. Check the mirror again. All right, I got joy. I look good, right? Or maybe my car. I got joy. I got a good car. What happens when you lose your job and they take your car? Your joy's gone, right? So if, 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 if you don't have that fruit of the Spirit, you're going to find joy from a conditional, circumstantial place that will change because everything that is not God will change. Only God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if I find joy in my looks, gray hairs are coming. If I find joy in my car, it's going to break down one day. If I find joy in another person, we may be separated through divorce or death someday. If I find joy in my money, the stock market may crash. Where does my joy come from? Psalm 1611, at the feet of Jesus. That's what Mary found out and Martha didn't know about. Lord, don't you care that she's not helping me? She's not washing dishes. She's not cooking. She's not doing... And Jesus said, Mary's chosen the good part. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was full of joy. Martha was trying to find joy through people thinking she cooked good or had a clean home. Not that those things are bad, but we have to make Jesus the priority. He has to be where our joy comes from, or we'll try to find it in other places. Are you with me? So if I'm not operating in the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to try to find that in another place. Now I'm going to start hitting those works of the flesh. Fornication. Envy. Right? Witchcraft. Manipulating things. I'm I'm going to be hitting these things because I'm not, I I don't have that fullness of God. I don't have what God has given me. I don't have what is my rightful thing to have, which is the Holy Spirit. God, God is not stingy with the Holy Spirit. God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. He wants to give us the fullness of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit. And He wants us to have all the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit. God's not stingy. He wants us to have these things. He wants us, he wants us to be fruitful. He doesn't not want us to be fruitful. It's us that's the problem, right? Okay. So that's joy. Y'all want to cover peace real quick? Okay, let's talk about peace. How many of you need some peace? I need some peace and quiet in this house. How many of you know that's every mother's saying, especially if you have boys? I need some peace and quiet in this house. Peace and quiet. What are we talking about? Well, not this. Because you can have God's peace and not have quiet in your home. In other words, you can have a living band with drums and trombones and all kinds of crazy noises in your house, people coming in and out, left and right, trashing everything, 
and still have the peace of God in your soul. So when we say peace, we're not talking about, as a mother would, I need peace and quiet. Well, I'm sure she does, okay? Let's give her a break. She needs peace and quiet. But when we're talking about peace being a fruit of the Spirit, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about humming. We're not talking about burning incense. We're not talking about candles. or We're not talking about silence. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something on the inside. And it comes from God. It doesn't come from my circumstance. How do I know that? Because you can have peace when you're staring at a lion. You can have the peace of God when you're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in a boat while Jesus is sleeping and the storm's raging. You can have peace then. You can have peace in the middle of conflict or turmoil because peace is not circumstantial, it's fruitful. And all these are this way. As we go through these, you'll see that. So let's talk about peace. The actual definition from Webster's Dictionary, 1828. You don't even have to know Greek or Hebrew or Latin. Just get a Webster's Dictionary. So what does it mean? It means free from disturbance. Free from disturbance, free from agitation. Talking about in here. So it means that the, whatever's going on, on the outside doesn't penetrate what's going on on the inside. You see, whenever the disciples were in the Sea of Galilee and the boat was rocking and the storm was raging and they thought they were all going to drown, their flesh allowed the outside circumstances to penetrate their heart and strike fear and even say to Jesus, Don't you care? That we're about to die? Hey. When just a few minutes earlier, Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. Faith says, okay. Fear says, we're not going to make it. Faith says, Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. Fear says, we're taking on water. I don't think he's watching. That wind is rocking. So you got two concepts. One is holding on to what God said, holding on to his word, and letting that be preeminent in the soul. The other one is letting the circumstances of life rock the boat. Which one are you? Which one am I? Peace is not, is not based on your circumstances. The, how many of you think that, that Daniel wanted to get thrown, wanted to get thrown in the lion's den? No. How many of you think that he had peace when he was down there? Or you think he was running around with a chicken like his head cut off? I think he had peace. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you think they were frantic when they were in the fiery furnace? Or do you think as Nebuchadnezzar, he saw them, they were worshiping God while they were in there. And there was a fourth man in the fire with them. So they had something on the inside that was greater than what was on the outside. Can you see it? When, when, when peace is a fruit of the Spirit, it is something that God is birthing on the inside of you because you're in Christ and Christ is in you. It's something that's on the inside that is greater than whatever is on the outside. That's what God's peace is. Free from agitation, free from disturbance. That means that no matter what happens on the outside, job loss, love loss, person loss, weather, politics, money, health, whatever's going on on the outside, whatever it is, You can think about it. Okay, whatever it is on the outside, God is greater on the inside. And doesn't God say that? Doesn't he say, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world? The the one that is causing all the agitation, the one that is causing all these disturbances, God in his word said, greater is he in me 
than the one agitating outside of me. It means no matter what the battle is, God's got an answer for it. And all i got to do is just lean on him, right? Abide in him. So I don't have to try. I don't have to go back and say, ooh, I need peace right now. Mmm, peace, come on. Let me pull that string. Let me do this to get peace. What was that thing I need to memorize? What do I need to quote? I need that peace right now. You, you missed it. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit. You don't get one. You get them all. As my pastor said, he said, the, the fruit of the Spirit is like a jumpsuit. Or like an astronaut, you know. You don't just put on like an arm. You put the whole thing on. The fruit of the Spirit, as God begins to grow in you, come on, we all want that. As God begins to grow in you, you don't just get one, right? You don't get one. You don't, well, I just got gentleness. Oh, I didn't get none of that love, joy, or peace. I just got meekness. Man. You know, it's not like that. God gives all. These are all part of the process. This fruit is an evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. How about that? The greatest evidence. Now, I didn't get on one of the things I wanted to get on, which we'll do it next time. Um, Lord willing. But one of the things that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 is you shall know them by their fruit. We are known by our fruit. We're not known by our name. We're not known by our denomination. We're not even known by our giftings. Jesus said you shall know them by their fruit. The way that you know whether a tree is good, taste the fruit. The way you know it's bad, taste the fruit. I shared this story on Sunday, but... I think it was Sunday. My mom had a peach tree. Never grew good fruit at all. You, all you had to do is taste one at the beginning of the year, and you knew that whole year they were all bad. I promise you, you never wanted to try another one. They were bad. A, a, a fruit tree don't have good ones on this side and bad ones on that side. I, I, I got the love. I just don't have the peace. Come on, man. I need some peace. It's not like that. It's all. And so it, it, it's that these things grow in us. We're growing in these things. These fruit are abounding and God's pruning so that there's more. God will take things and he'll convict me of things so that some more of this fruit will begin to flow. Amen? That's what God's doing in us. So that, look, there's times in my life I've probably blown my witness. I hate to say it, but it's true. And if we're all honest, there's probably times in all of our lives that we've blown our witness. What do we mean by that? We were too much in the flesh. But as we grow in the Spirit and these fruit of the Spirit manifest and He prunes us and more fruit grows, guess what? We're going to start hitting the mark that God has for us. We're going to start growing in God. This is not optional. This is what God expects of us, right? John 15, verses 1 through 6. Let me finish this out on peace. What happens when in the absence of peace? What happens in the absence of peace? What, what do you have if you don't have peace? Stress. Stress, anxiety, turmoil. What do, you, what do you, you have fear, you have doubt. The greatest thing I believe is just stress and anxiety. Because you're worried about stuff. If I've got the peace of God flowing through me, not because I learned something, but because I've abided in Jesus. This is why God used fishermen. It wasn't about, it wasn't about some epiphany they had. It, wasn't about a, it was not about an epiphany that they caught. It was about a Jesus that they held to. It was about a Jesus they, they knew, that they believed on. It wasn't about being able to quote systematic theology. Although, you know, we'll give you extra star if you do. Okay, cool. But if you can quote it, that's fine. But it's not about that. It's about Jesus. And as you hold to Him, this comes. So if I don't have peace, if I've got stress and anxiety, it tells me I'm not holding to Jesus right. I'm not abiding in Him. 
need to go back to my altar. I need to go back to my knees. I need to get on my face, and I need to fall in love with him again. I need to get back in that word and let the tears flow. Whatever it takes, Lord, break me. Whatever it takes, Lord, break me. And, you know, that's one of the greatest things. Now, I'll just say this because I don't have time to go through this. There are two different things that I want you to see. Peace, the peace of God is different than peace with God. Peace of God is different than peace with God. Most of you, if you've heard me teach this, you know it because we've spent a lot of time in this. Peace with God comes through the cross. Peace of God comes through abiding in that work. Peace with God is through the blood. Peace with God. Look, nothing that I ever did in my life, I don't care how many, how many dollar bills I put in an offering box, could never give me peace with God. Only the blood gave me peace with God. But the peace of God is different. That's what I have inside. That's what I have inside. And that only comes through abiding in Jesus. So the, the, uh, the downside is when you, don't have, when you don't have the peace of God in your life, you'll compromise to get a worldly version of it. You know what I mean by that? Some people don't, don't trust that God will provide for them, so they'll marry the wrong person just so they can have, right? Oh, I need. Some people, they, they, you know, maybe you don't have enough money because of this, that, or the other, and just to get that level of financial security, you'll compromise your standards and go do a job that you don't need to be doing. People will sell out their standards to get a slice of what they perceive is peace. But only peace comes through Jesus. See, that the, the world will always have that carrot on a stick but never be able to deliver. And you'll compromise a little here and a compromise a little there and compromise a little there. And by the time you're done with it, you won't have anything. The world specializes in that. I don't need to teach you that. You know this. So what is it? It is having Jesus. Let me close in John 14, verse 27. John 14, verse 27. I'll close here. I was hoping to get all nine. We got three. But we had to set it up a little bit. John 14. And we'll move all the way down to verse number 27, which is kind of neat because verse 26, we used it this past Sunday. John 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world give, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. This shows us a level of what we're talking about in God's peace. Number one, God gives it. I don't get it from my job. I don't get it from the stock market. I don't get it from my politician. I don't get it from my spouse. I don't get it from having a two-story home or a three-story home. I don't get it from having a, a good report from the doctor. I don't get it from having a car. I don't get it from having good clothes. I don't get it from any of those things. I get it from God if I'm going to get it. That's what Jesus says. Peace comes from him, not the world. He said, I give it to you. The devil's a liar. Jesus said, I give it to you. So Jesus is the one who gives us peace. It comes from him and him alone. And watch this. He doesn't give like the world gives. How many of you know what the, world, the way that the world gives something? Give and take. Or give it but it's not real. It's like the parts that are made in China. It's going to break. It looks shiny. The package was cool. It, 
it, it looked awesome, but you plug it in, it might work once. And then, it was made in China. That's what the world's peace is. It was made in China, right? I want the peace that was made in heaven. Well, that's what God gives me, so that no matter what I'm facing, I'm free from disturbance and free from agitation. And God has given that to all of us, all of us, regardless of our theological prowess. It comes through our abiding in Christ. Amen? All right, we'll stop right there for the time being. And Lord willing, we'll pick it back up and hit the next set.